0: All right, let's open up our Bibles together. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, if you're visiting. Uh, we just started our series through Matthew in uh, last week, so this is our, our second week. So we are at Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 18. If somebody would grab the lights real quick, that would be awesome. As I'm getting older, the eyes aren't as strong as they once were. Two weeks ago, the lights did not get turned on. And about halfway through the sermon, I was like, man, it's getting, it's, my eyes are just not good. And then I looked up, and then I didn't want to have that awkward pause of, can somebody do it? So yeah, if somebody turned the lights on, that'd be great. We are at Matthew uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 25. This is God's holy word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Consider the birth of your son and all the details surrounding it that uh, we we pray, God, that you would uh, allow us to uh, once again be surprised, uh, to be overwhelmed um, by this display of, of your power, this display of your love and grace and mercy for a fallen world. May Jesus be magnified in our time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I I believe we have a tendency, and I'll speak for myself, to get bored with the basics. To uh, always feel like I have enough knowledge of something that I'm ready to move on, to advance to that that, that next, whatever it is. For example, uh, imagine with your work that you had to go back to school for some, some furthering education. And once you got into that classroom, maybe it was a week long class in the summer, uh, you, you go to the classroom, and every day for eight hours, the focus is the alphabet. Now that's actually, part of it's like, this is awesome. I'm going to rock this class. It's not going to take any effort. But eight hours of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's going to wear on you. You're going to be like, okay, I am, this is beneath me. I'm ready. Same, same if it was like simple math. If you're doing two plus two, once again, you're feeling good. You're going to do well. But at the same time, like this is too basic. I'm ready to move on imagine you're taking a cooking class in that first week the only thing you do is learn how to preheat an oven and boil water are you pretty much ready to move on from there i coach basketball and even with the younger ages there's been times where there was a gym uh, conflict and we didn't have the gym to use and we had to go out into the hallway and the only thing they could do is dribble that worked for about 10 minutes And then they're like, can we please do something else? You see, once we know something, we often feel that we're ready for something new. Uh, In the meantime, I think these foundational components, they often uh, bore us. Well, I think today's passage is one of those foundations that you and I, we know— I mean, today's passage, you probably, I know in the 18 years of covenant, at least twice we have preached through this passage. At least twice. So it's, it's something that's very common the virgin birth, baby Jesus. And I think as a result of that, and I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I think a large portion of us have. Allowed this to lose its awe, to lose its wonder. It's something that we know so much that just like, yeah, virgin birth, uh, get on to some new stuff. Let's, I wanna hear about theology, I wanna hear big, big terms. So, my, my prayer today is as we go through a very familiar passage in the birth of Christ, that God would awaken us to the wonder. That this foundation would not be something that we're bored with, but that we cherish, that we're excited about, that we are in awe of as we see God's love on display uh, through his son. So uh, we're going to behold the wondrous mystery in two ways in our passage. First, we're going to behold this wondrous mystery through the suspect pregnancy we're going to see this scandal once again. Last week had a scandal of names. This week we have a scandal with regards to the pregnancy, and we're going to see God uh, in the midst of all of it. And then uh, the second way we're going to behold the wondrous mystery is through the special child, that this child that's going to come uh, through this suspect pregnancy is going to be uh, unlike anyone who has ever gone, or whoever's come before. So let's pick up. As we begin at verse 18 and as we consider the suspect uh, pregnancy, as I said last week, we looked at the genealogy of the promised king. And what we saw is that Jesus is really the fulfillment of two great promises. God's promise to Abraham that you're going to be a blessing to all, all all the earth. Jesus is that blessing. But then secondly, the promise to David that there's going to be one who sits on the throne and he's going to reign and rule forever and ever, once again, that is fulfilled in Jesus. So it's a significant genealogy leading to somebody uh, that God had promised. Well, right here, we're zooming in and we're going to hear the backstory of the actual birth of Christ. And as I said, right from the beginning, it starts off with a big scandal. We're going to ask three questions concerning this pregnancy. Number one, who is the father? Who is the father? Read verse 18 with me. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So notice the engagement that is going on. Now, Jewish marriage had two stages. First was the the betrothal. That would have been the engagement. We need to understand their engagement and what we have are very different. Their engagement, one, typically the marriages were arranged by the fathers of the bride and groom. Uh, They would have been chosen for them. Typically the ages would have been anywhere from 12 to 18 years old. So these are kids, basically, that are going to be getting married, relatively speaking. Uh, There would have been a prenup. So this is before celebrities and rich people signing prenuptial agreements. They would have had a prenup contract. And in order to end the engagement, you would have had to be divorced. It would have been a divorcing. Now, normally, the betrothal period was about a year. The reason for that is over a year's time, if the woman was already pregnant, that would play itself out. So having that year window would assure and guarantee that there is is no pregnancy from another man. But in, in the Old Testament, during this period, if you were unfaithful, adultery would have led to being stoned in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it would have been much more scandalous, kind of scarlet letter. It would have been a big deal. Then the second stage of the Jewish marriage is the wedding ceremony. It would have been a week-long festivity, celebration, ending in a time where the husband and wife, for the first time, would have been intimately uh, involved with one another. Well, this passage right here is before the wedding ceremony. It's before the wedding ceremony. It's during this engagement period. And it does not look good for Mary, right? I mean, think about this. So down the street, the bank gets robbed. As you're driving by the bank, there is a person outside with a bag in their hand with money and a gun in the other hand. How easily would they be able to talk themselves out of being considered the bank robber? I mean, it looks really, really bad. And that's that's what it is. They're, They're not married. Joseph has not had an intimate relationship with her, and she is pregnant Virgins don't have babies as far as you and I are typically used to. So the question is, well, if it's not mine, who were you unfaithful with? So do you see this? I mean, are you surprised, once again, by the scandal of the virgin birth? I mean, that's just God. God puts himself and God puts his story in the midst of sinners, in the midst of a mess, in the midst of like speculations and rumors. So we see the engagement. And then notice the emphasis that that Matthew keeps drawing attention to. Verse 18, before they came together. Down to verse 25, it says, he did not know her until... So the emphasis is that this child is not the result of who? Joseph. I mean, this is, it, once, once baby Jesus was born, if it would have been like in, in the Jerry Springer talk show days, they would have ran the paternity test on baby Jesus, and guess what? Joseph was not the father. It was not the biological, but the the other reality is nobody else would have ended up testing as the biological father from an earthly sense. And this is significant, and he keeps drawing attention to this. Romans 5.12 kind of gives us the reason why. Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, the necessity that this child can't have your run-of-the-mill, earthly dad is because of that. Because if Mary conceived because of any other person than, than the Holy Spirit doing it, that child would what inherit? What would they inherit? Starts with an S. Sin. That child would not be sinless. That child would be as needing of a Savior as you and I. Would well, do you understand why Jesus cannot be the result of a human mother and a human father? So who is the father? The second question we have to ask then is how is this even possible? Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So first of all, notice the power shown. This is the how. This is how the birth of Christ took place. We need to understand this. We need to wrap our minds around this. But sometimes it's difficult for understanding the how. Amen? Who here could come up and explain to us how a cell phone works. Now, I'm not saying how your social media app works. I'm not saying how you can text people. I'm not saying how you get frustrated with, with maybe your mom or dad, how they're not good at technology. No, I'm talking about all the intricate details. That I could pick up the phone, and they're not there yet, but in a week or two, Mark and Carmela will be on the other side of the world. I could pick them up. Call on the phone, and in a matter of seconds, be talking to them. Could you talk out how all that works out? I know it's something with satellites, right? Satellites and and waves and stuff. Now, somebody might actually be able to give the, the scientific reason. But when we start talking about this subject, there is a mystery in all of this that you and I need to openly acknowledge and embrace. That the Holy Spirit did it. Luke one thirty four. listen to what it says. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Good question, Mary, right? I'm pregnant. I haven't had any kind of relationship that could get me pregnant. How is this possible? And the angel appeared, answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And he goes on in verses 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So we need to acknowledge that Mary conceiving was supernatural, period, the end. How that all worked out, I don't know. And the Bible doesn't give us that much clarity apart from the fact that she wasn't pregnant, then she was pregnant, and it's because the Holy Spirit did it. Another thing we need to point out, and I don't want to digress too much, this is not the, the existence of the Son of God coming on the scene. Understand that. That God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, from eternity's past, if all he exists, what we see happening is the Son of God taking on flesh. But he is not, his, his origin isn't here. It's another important theological uh, thought that we need to, to convey. So are you okay with this? Are you okay that this is hard to understand? Are you bashful in telling people about this because it it sounds like, oh, I don't know, and I don't understand it? Because this is a foundation. This is one of those ones like, I don't know, but God did it, and praise the Lord, he did it. Not only the power shown, but then notice this was a promised sign. This is a fulfillment of what God had promised. Look at verse 22. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a theme that we're going to see. We saw it last week in Matthew, and we're going to see it throughout constantly. And this came to pass, and this was so it was fulfilled. This is what was spoken of. We're going to see a lot of Old Testament, and what we see is God's promises coming to bear in real time. Uh, The particular promise he's looking at is Isaiah 7, verse 14. And this was a very troubled situation. Very troubled. There was um, a—you've probably seen the one commercial. It's Geico, and like there'll be serious stuff going on. Maybe a person having surgery or all this, like, very important stuff. It's like, I have good news. And the person's expecting good news. And it's like, I saved a few dollars by switching my, my car insurance to Geico. And then that's it. And like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Like, that's not, that's not good news to me if I'm troubled with all these other things in my life. And you see this, this sign, this good news that God speaks through Isaiah. It's not like that. This is very significant. Here was here the context. Uh, Judah was being threatened by a coalition of Israel and Syria, and their goal was to knock out Judah, knock out the king of Judah. Problem two is Judah's king, Ahaz, at the time, not a good king. So they're kind of a mess. And the goal was to destroy David's king, establish their own king. And in the midst of this, God promises this sign that this virgin will give birth to a son. And why this is good news is because this son will then sit on the throne. So remember, this isn't a context where things are not good. It's a context where it, it feels like everything is hanging in the balance, that all of God's promises are this close from being just broken and done away. And in the midst of this, 2 Samuel 7:12, God had promised them, your days are fulfilled, and you lie down. I'm gonna raise up after you an offspring. Who will come from your body. He will establish his kingdom. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and then I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this child born of the virgin is going to be this child. And that was the hope. Well, does God provide hope in dark times? I mean, think about it. Think about whatever you're going on in your life right now. If you turn to the scriptures, could you find hope? You, you can and should, because there is hope. There's, there's never, because of Christ, there is never a time that is outweighed by the darkness because of the hope that we have. So we see who the Father is. We ask the question, how is this even possible? Last question I want us to ask is, where is faith shown? Read verse 24 with me. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I I think one of the characters in the New Testament that we often, I think, diminish the value of is Joseph. Now, I'm not saying we need to esteem him to the point of of worship and idolatry, like what goes on with Mary often in the world today. No, but what I do want to commend him is his faith. Because, I mean, considering the circumstances, he looks from the outside as about as naive and as gullible as possible. When we hear what he did, I mean, it, it is the email from the prince. Everybody's got it. I know some of you thought you were a millionaire, right? Like, you won't believe it. I don't even know how this guy got my email but he sent me an email and there's some family connection. He's got 14 million dollars. We're going to get to him, but it's because it's from a different country, we're going to have to do some currency change. And you listen to your friend or your family member and you're like, "Oh my goodness." They're like, "I have ocean property in Kansas. Would you like to buy some?" No, it's like that. I mean, think about think of this. Your friend, imagine this, tells you that his fiance is pregnant like, oh my goodness, you guys are having a baby? Like, one, that's not great. It's before you're married. And then he's like, no, it's not mine. I'm like, okay. It's not anybody else's, though, either. I'm being serious. Like, she's not—it's God. God got her pregnant. I mean, think about it. Every single one of us in here would find that absurd and ridiculous. But then look at Joseph. He believes— he says, okay, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, said it, and said, all right. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive their combination. I mean, that's Noah, right? I want you to build an ark in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to rain so much that this is going to save you from the flood. And everybody would have been like, this is ridiculous. And what did he do? He built the ark. God told him to take her as his wife, he did it. He did not lay with her prior to, to baby Jesus being born. But he obeyed no matter what. I mean, that's obedience, friends. That's, obedience is always tied to faith. It's about trusting God. 1 John 5, 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandment, and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, do you walk by faith? Are you kind of in the footsteps of a Joseph? Do you obey even when it doesn't make sense? Do you trust the Lord? So we behold this wondrous mystery through the suspect pregnancy. Let us now look at the uh, wondrous mystery through the special child. Through the special child. Uh, What's so unique about this kid First of all, he has a special name. Read verse 21 with me. He says, She will bear a son, and you shall name, call his name, Jesus. So that's who he's going to be. First of all, there is no uh, suspense on what sex the baby is. Right there, (laughs) right from the get-go. Boom, you're having a son. So no, no gender reveal parties. That was it. That was it in the moment. But not only that, there's no debate over the name. We, we, we love wrestling with baby names, don't we? And everybody loves to have an opinion, right? Because that's one of the first questions, like, have you thought of the name? What names are going to be? And then depending on if they like the name, they'll be like, hmm, okay. You know a name I like? Like, oh, I forgot that. I was asking. But please share. Please share with me. And they'll always like throw out a name idea. Uh, I did look up current names. FYI, anybody pregnant or about to be pregnant? Girls for 2023. Olivia, Emma, Amelia, Ava, and Sophia. And boy names, Liam, Noah, Oliver, Elijah, and Mateo. Those Those are the top fives on some random website that... Uh, I don't know how accurate that is, but those are the names, so those are some ideas. You see, that's not how names were even often given in Bible times. We do it because we want it to sound good with the last name. We want it to sound—or that the kid's not going to get picked on too much at school. But no, the names were significant because the names carried meaning. Somebody, if they're fast, you might have called them speedy kind of idea. Well, Joshua in the Old Testament means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is a shortened form of Joshua, which means will save. It's an emphasis on the active agent of of, of saving. So right there with Jesus' name, we immediately know that this child is going to be the Savior, First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So right there, when we start talking about Jesus, we need to realize Jesus came, why? To save. That was his goal. It wasn't simply to teach. It wasn't simply to do miracles. At the end of the day, he came on a rescue mission to save you and I from our sins. And I think that's significant because if we're followers of Jesus, what should be one of our main missions? Right? Because I think there's often this huge disconnect From us as followers of Christ And what Christ is all about He was all about Saving sinners And you and I are all about Sometimes just doing church And living in this world And and Bible studies and all this stuff But at the end of the day one of our main missions Even at covenant Should be to reach the lost But not only that's who he will be It's what he will certainly do What does it say He will save his people Notice the language. He will say. There's no, he might say, might save. He, he may do this. You and I, we often speak in generalities like that, do we not? Possibilities. Hey, what are you going to do next week? Well, I'm, I'm probably going to this. I'm going to do this. Yesterday, uh, we— uh, Throughout the week, we are probably going to visit my mom for Mother's Day, and we did happy Mother 's Day, Mom. But it wasn't a hundred percent. I had some things that had to get done before, and there was always that possibility. Well, when we see that God says that his son, now mind you, this is before he 's even born, he says he will save it's certainty John 1029. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. That that is the certainty of God's salvation, that He will do it. Did he fulfill what he was supposed to do then? Did, did, did he come to redeem a people? Is that, is that certain? All of you who are followers of Christ in our midst, now you know everybody isn't, but for those of you who, who walk with Christ, who trust in Christ, have you been saved? Is there a certainty there? Is there an assurance there that we can have? Because not only does he have a special name, he has a special mission. Notice what it goes on it says. He says, "He will save his people from what? From their sins." Now this isn't limited and how we're going to break it down, but I want to focus on three elements to the sin part. First of all, he saves us from the penalty of sin. He came to to give us the greatest need of all humanity. Uh, In God's irony, I did not plan this, that Mother's Day would be the day that we look at the birth of Jesus. It just happened, honestly. Did not time it out that way. But I know even at Mother's Day, like, As a as a son and as a husband, it's difficult to figure out what do we get, mom? What do I get, my wife? What do we? You you want to get them the right gift? You don't want to to disappoint. Uh, We ended up with uh, flowers for grandma on my side, so that's what we did. So I think she liked them. Uh, She got them regardless. So there you go. What's the greatest need you and I have? To be rescued from the penalty of our sin. Galatians, or Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Galatians 3.10 says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, everyone curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Imagine you're in school and the grading scale is pass, fail, but pass is perfect score. Talk about a lot of pressure each and every time. But the problem is, our first quiz, we failed. So you're, you're, you're going through the class, you're, you're already failed. It's, that, that is the spiritual reality for all of us apart from Christ. So he, he has rescued us from this penalty by, by paying the debt on our behalf. He's also, and this is important, he's rescued us from the power of our sin. He's rescued us from a power of our sin. Romans 6.19 says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. I don't think we want to acknowledge it, but our condition prior to Christ is we were slaves to sin. Think of that. We had shackles. We were bound now, does that mean we sin to the fullness all the time, all the ways? No. But our heart, our mind, were directed in that kind of a slaved sense. So what God has done through Christ is not only has he rescued us from the penalty, he's rescued us from the, the power of sin. Colossians 3, 7, in those you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. So he provides an an opportunity and a hope that it's possible to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Because I think, and I've, I've said this before, even last week, I think too often we view Jesus as our ticket to heaven. He came so we don't go to hell. Praise the Lord. That is true. But he also came so that we would not no longer live in our sin. And he has rescued us from that through the cross. But not only that, the, the other element of sin I want us to think of as we consider his rescue is the, our personal uh, connection to sin. Notice what he says. He saves them from whose sin? Their sin. And you and I, reading the scriptures, we could say what? Our sins. Every single one of us. Nobody can hear, can say they're an exception. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Last week, I mentioned it during the scandal, the genealogy. You and I, our name in the genealogy, as equally as scandalous as any name on that list. So you and I, we have a sin problem, past problem, present, future, more than just justification that we're speaking of. We need God to forgive and to rescue us from our current sin problem. So think about that. Think about that right now. What sins do you still need saved? And I'm not saying saved so you can go to heaven. But like what sins are plaguing you still? Think about it. The past week— how have you sinned? Because if you're sitting there and you're saying you did not sin, or you can't think of anything, like, man, this is really tough. Put me on the spot, Joe. Like, on Monday, I was really good. Tuesday. Wednesday, I started getting a little impatient. Maybe pit- impatience. No. No, I mean, to be honest, like, I, I don't think we, we think about just how, how consistently— we sin, how easily we speak negatively of people, how often we, we lust, how often we lie. We, like. God needed to forgive us of our sin, our personal sin. Are you in need of that? Are you acknowledging your sin before God? So he's not only—doesn't only have a special name and a special mission. Lastly, he has a special identity. Notice what it goes on. It says, verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Understand this. He's not saying that Jesus has two names. It's not like, well, he's, his name is actually John, but we call him Bill. No, it's, it, it's not that. It, the emphasis is that the child's identity is going to be unique because the child is going to be the God man. He'll be known in the sense of his deity. I don't know about you, I've never been a big fan of uh, math story problems. Some people love them. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Two trains are traveling, one at 40 miles an hour, one at 32 miles an hour. There are eight students on the one, there's four on the other. One gets off at the second exit. Once they arrive, how many kids will be wearing a yellow shirt? And you're like, what? what, what? Well, here's, here's the question though, and, the, and this is why this, this statement is so significant. How can a holy God forgive sinful people? That is the problem. That is the dilemma. How can it happen? That's why we emphasized earlier that this child is not Joseph's child. Because if Jesus is only the, the byproduct of a man and a woman— Guess what he needs? He needs our Savior too. He needs represented well. Well, what if Jesus is only God? He can't represent man. So what we need is the God-man. And the only way the God-man could could come to be is through the virgin birth. B.B. Warfield, the supernatural Christ and the supernatural salvation carry with them an inevitable consequence that we need a supernatural birth. And that's what we see here. And that's what the emphasis is. He's God with us. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from Him, and cried out this was he of whom i said he would come after me ranks before me because he was before me so this child's the god man but not only is he the god man this child will be with man that god willingly came in to this world to be amongst broken people. And even this day, through the Spirit, He still dwells amongst us. And it, it's shocking because, like, why would you want to expose yourself? Why would you be want to be around people? Have you has anybody here ever worked customer service? Raise your hand. Few people. Are customers awesome and always right? <clears throat> Maybe the policy of your company is, but let's be honest, that does not feel that way, and I'm always amazed. I mean, I'll be at a restaurant, and like, I remember one time not too long ago at a restaurant, and this, this family was this obnoxious, I just, and like, the waiter was amazing. Man, he just smiled, like, you know, like, now mind you, I didn't hear what he said when he got in the back, but like, he just, he showed such grace and such mercy, and I'm sorry about that. I'll take care of that, and And these people were so entitled. I mean, think about that with you and I. That God came into the world to save you, to save me. He left the glories of heaven for you, for me. He knew he was going to endure the cross for you, for me. Galatians 4:4, 4, 4, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't that the hope of heaven? That the, the, the God amongst us, God with us, will come to its fruition? Revelation 21. That he will be our God. We will be his people. He will wipe away our tears. That we'll always be in the presence of God. Do you see the necessity for the incarnation? Are you in all of God's saving plan? Are you grateful for his presence? How many times has somebody told you, you have got to check this out? You hear that all the time in today's world, right? Right? Maybe it's a, a, a trending video clip. You got to see this. You got to see this. And then they, they, you'll even say, you'll thank me later. And then you, you see it and you're like, that, that was it? Maybe it's visiting a certain place. You, if you're going to be there on vacation, you got to see this. It's, it's so awesome. And you go and you're like, that was it? Maybe it's trying a restaurant or whatever it is. I think in those situations, who here has ever been underwhelmed? I mean, it happens often. Call me unimpressed. Wasn't that funny, not that exciting, not that beautiful. However, there have been other times where somebody said, You got to check this out. And afterwards, to be honest with you, I felt they undersold it. It was better than expected. I was like, That was amazing. You said it was a good movie, but that was a remarkable movie. You said that restaurant was good. Like, wow, I wish I could eat there daily. That was amazing. You see, beholding in those kind of moments, you're overwhelmed by what you see. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop talking about it. It is epic and amazing. And I think for too many of us, our familiarity with today's passage has led us to an underwhelmed response to the virgin birth. We read this story. We know this story. We could recite this story. And it just doesn't stir our affections like it should. But truth be told, this should be one of the the overwhelming moments. That God did this for us. It should be a wow moment every time we consider it. Friends, this is beyond Christmas. I I was going to even entitle the sermon, Christmas in May. The truth is, this should be a wow that he did this. We're going to sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. That's how we're going to close our time today. But consider the very beginning lyrics, so relevant to what we're talking about. In the dawning of the king, he, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity— In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Jesus who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Friends, behold the wondrous mystery of our great Savior and King. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now and we, one, confess that such a glorious, remarkable, Supernatural truth, uh, due to familiarity, not because it's not glorious, has lost some of its luster with us. Uh, God, we ask for forgiveness for our hard hearts. We ask for forgiveness for uh, not being overwhelmed by your grace and mercy. We do pray, God, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that you would open up our eyes. And that we would be a people that are excited and just uh, so taken captive. As Paul says, that the the love of Christ would compel us. That even as we leave today and we spend time with family and, and celebrate mothers, that we would not forget to also celebrate Jesus. So we pray in his name. Amen.